Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. And my guest today is Assemblyman John McDonald. And Assemblyman McDonald is also a pharmacist. So he's going to talk about the coronavirus and the and the perspective that we might not normally hear. So Assemblyman McDonald, when this first happened, when there was talk about this, maybe in January, what was your reaction? You know, back then, um, my initial reaction is this, should not be disregarded only because and a lot of people average folks like us will compare things with the traditional flow and they say oh it's just the flow but the thing is with the tr- traditional flow we always had defense mechanisms in place to help us we had a vaccine um, that we could give that would work in maybe 30 to 50 percent of the population and people wouldn't see anything and we also had a, a product that everybody has become very familiar with called Tamiflu, which would, which would slow down the replication of the virus and therefore would help the person, but also help prevent the, the spreading of the virus to other people. So when I first heard of this, I said, wait a minute, there's no vaccine and there's no medication that's effective in arresting its spread. This is potentially a very serious issue. And sadly enough, it's true. Now, the coronavirus, um, is it like the regular flu? I mean, does it spread from human to human as if it, it was a regular flu? It does spread it from, from human to human. It spreads from human uh-huh. to human, but also it can also um, spread by, you know, if I touch my mouth and touch the banister and you combine the next three or four hours and touch the banister, there's a potential if you touch the banister and touch your mouth that it could be transmitted. So it does have a little bit of a viability on on non-human substances. Not forever by any stretch of the imagination, but depending on the type Mm -hmm. of substance, it can be a few hours to up to a full day. So this is why constantly hearing about those establishments still open uh, constantly, every hour on the hour, cleaning their counters, cleaning their areas where people are touching common things, whether it's the phone, whether it's you know a terminal, whatever it may be. Mm. So, um, if we didn't take the precautions that we're doing, you know, this, the the uh, social distancing, mm-hmm. would it be worse? It would be much worse. I have to tell you, um, I am extremely impressed by the way the people of New York State have responded. Um, And let's face it, we are living in polarizing times um, prior to this, and it's still a little bit polarizing to a degree, but all of a sudden people realize, wait a minute, this is about human health. This is about life and death. We need to take it seriously. The governor and his team 
have done a remarkable job that is being recognized not only nationally but internationally because what he's done, which I think is so critical, is that he's telling it the way it is. He's relying on Dr. Zucker and the, and the, and the multi-talented individuals at the Wadsworth Laboratory and Department of Health who have always prepared for these type of situations. He's utilizing the National Guard in a very appropriate manner to navigate and move things around through the process. And the results are starting to be seen. We are seeing the fact that we are at the apex. Here in the capital region, the governor's own words yesterday, it's leveling off, which is a positive sign. It doesn't mean that we do a victory lap, but it means that, okay, guess what? The, the pain that we're all enduring is starting to have a positive impact. We're starting to see increased discharges from the hospital. We're starting to see decrease in, in people being admitted to the hospital, decrease in people being admitted to the IC, ICU, and de- decrease in the amount of intubations that are being done. The only unfortunate thing is, and this has actually been predicted, it's not a shock, um, is that we're still seeing a significant amount of deaths. You know, we've been in the in the mid to upper 700s. Yesterday was a little bit of a decline. Hopefully that decline will start to accelerate, right, that we start to see more discharges, less admissions, and less deaths. And that's, that's, that's the direction we're going. And the best part about it, and people had a hard time understanding this three, four weeks ago when the governor was – he was sounding the alarm about making sure that we had enough hospital beds and having enough um, ventilators. You know, it was all actually very processed. It was, it was staged out very properly in regards to we need to deal with this, and then we need to deal with this, and we need to deal with this. And, and, and to be honest with you, the team has done a wonderful job, and the public has responded um, astoundingly, as far as I'm concerned. Um, New York City seems to be hit the hardest place in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. I'm so glad. I mean, I feel terrible. It's, it's almost like they're duplicating 9-11 tenfold down there. But when I hit it, right. We're not hit as hard, um, which is a blessing for us. Um, Downstate, is it because there's so all all, um, air travel has stopped, right? Pretty much, ninety-six percent of it. It's very, very few. Matter of fact, you know, it's interesting. If you are outdoors on a regular basis, you'll notice the skies are quiet. I noticed it last weekend when I was out doing some hiking. And um it's one of those situations where the world has kind of come to us uh, come to a crawl. Um New York City as you know is because of its density is just so much likely to spread this disease. And 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 that's why they've really struggled and suffered the most. The upstate parts, you know, Albany has had its fair share, Albany County um, and so is Rensselaer and Saratoga. But as you move up the Northway and you move up into the northern reaches of the state and northwestern regions, it's less and less, which is good. And that's the goal. The goal is not to have 
people impacted. Uh, the goal is not to have the hospitals fully occupied. The goal is to get through this process, establish what we can do um, going forward, and, 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 it, and we still will have to talk about getting the economy back in motion. Mm. You know, you you know me that I go, I go down to the uh, Capitol during session, and you you see me going to press conferences. And you did a lot of stuff. You guys did a lot of stuff via technology, and, and it ended so you know quite quite. Uh, you usually go to, to June, but it ended in uh, last week. Has that been a strange feeling for you, knowing well, that? Well, the budget project. Yeah. Well, I I don't I I would not say we're done for the year. I and I don't think we're done for May and June. I still would like to believe that uh, if things work out well in the next couple of weeks, that we can come back for session. We do have a process in place to move legislation um, in a remote manner, not the preferred way to do it. Um, I actually, and, and you know this because you are a regular at the Capitol, there's something about the, the terms of engagement, I guess you would call it, right? Basically the process, the protest, the, 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 the voices being heard, and that's been disappointing because as much as sometimes it can be a little bit trying, it can be very instructive. And, and it's democracy in action. And unfortunately, democracy has had to slow down just a little bit um, because of the fact that we needed to get the bare basics done. The bare basics being that we have an operating budget that will continue to keep the state operations going during this pandemic with the understanding that we are going to have to reconvene more than a few times. I still think that there's, like I said earlier, an option to carry out our legislative functions, um, albeit it might be through through a program like Zoom or, or Citrix or whatever it may be, but um, we still have to continue to get the people's work done. I will tell you, though, Cynthia, um, as much as the budget's important and the legislation that we put forth, it, it has an impact on somebody somewhere, the most important thing that I've always felt as an elected official, and this goes back to my 13 years as mayor of Cohoes, as constituent services, and now more than ever before, um, the public has concerns, whether it's getting unemployment, whether it's getting health care, whether it's concerns about the social distancing regulations in their apartments, in their apartment communities. And that's where my office and myself have been, and, and my colleagues have been very helpful. We've been able to take in the questions and scenarios, share that with the administration, and get direct responses in a very timely manner. And I think that's where elected officials really shine is in their constituent services. That's, that's, we're there to represent the people, and that's important. And their voice is heard, contrary to what some may say. But just as importantly, it's about being there when people need you and helping them to the best of your ability. And I think that, that's where the majority of our energy has been for the last month, is making sure that those those individuals, particularly with the, the, the whole unemployment saga, which I think, um, I know yesterday I had many constituents who we've been following and communicating with daily tell me that they got their call, they've got in, they've got their unemployment, they're happy, they're moving on with their life, which is important because I can't, you know, the anxiety of not knowing how you're going to pay your rent, how you're going to be able to buy food is just... Mm-hmm. 
it's just adding to this. And by the way, there's no place for people to go. So they're home all day dwelling on these issues. So I will say that in the absence of being able to actually um, pass our bills, I think the constituent services has really been the most critical thing we should be focused on. You know, you you haven't sat uh, in the assembly chamber with uh, 149 of your colleagues, but I'm sure you've spoken with them over the phone. If you've mm-hmm. spoken with any downstate legislators, like from mm-hmm. the Bronx or Manhattan, yeah. Yeah. have yeah. they? What do they tell you? What horror stories have they been relaying to you? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, in Manhattan, as you know, uh, Manhattan is probably the most dense, but it's also the least impacted of the five boroughs. Uh, the Bronx and Queens are very much impacted. Brooklyn is extremely impacted. You know, and, and unfortunately, Cynthia, this is um, this is not a surprise to keen observers like yourself, but to others, there tends to be a track um, towards, you know, greater tendency in the low-income communities um, and, of course, um, in, the, in the minority communities as well. So that's been the most devastating concern for many individuals because, um, we already had a, a system in place that, that had, its, had its, its structure points where it was in trouble, and now it's, it's just breaking in many aspects. So that's been that's been biggest concern I've heard, is that they're just trying to make sure that people are getting access to services. And this is why the governor took the drastic action of starting to reallocate individuals to different parts of the state, whether they were COVID-19 positive or not because the system was overwhelmed in the city. And quite honestly, if Albany Med is sitting here with a 40, 50% vacancy rate, and they're, they're literally trying to treat people in the entranceways in Brooklyn, it's, that's just that's totally inappropriate. And that's why people have been being shipped around the state. And not to the volume that we thought, but they're doing it because it makes sense. They need care. And I'll be the first to tell you, no practitioner, no healthcare professional thinks it's a good idea to throw Cynthia in, a, in an ambulance and ship her up to Albany. That's not what they want to do. It's what they uh-huh. have to do. Uh, why do you think the boroughs, other than Manhattan, are being hit so hard? I, I think it gets back to socioeconomic status. It's a terrible thing to say but it's socioeconomic status that plays a large role. It doesn't mean that the, uh, the those who are in a higher socioeconomic status are immune from this by any stretch of the imagination, but it gets back to the simple things. Think about the, the dwellings they live in, the proximity, how many people are living in the building, the total of people they come into contact naturally on a regular basis. It, it, it all adds up at some point, and it all makes – and also the other ability is for people – to understand the message and to internalize it and to act appropriately. And sometimes the message just doesn't get to certain populations, whether it's a language barrier, whatever it may be. And that's why it's been critical. You know, I, you know, what my next door office um, buddy in the assembly is Ron Kim. Ron Kim is Korean. He, he um, wow. represents many in the Korean community, and he has been really making sure. And that's why it's important that we have the diversity of the legislative house. I've always said that as much as some people, particularly in upstate, like to critique some of the downstate 
ideals, I've always looked at it a little bit differently that, you know, each member represents a different part of New York State. And New York State is arguably the most diverse state in the nation. Um, yeah, it may have different different ideas and different solutions. But if you actually take a moment and stop and listen, you can understand it and, and, and act accordingly. There's uh, There's been criticism of the governor from the left on him passing an austerity budget. Do you think that criticism is warranted given the fact that at the beginning of the year they talked about a $6 million deficit? Yeah. You know, there's a couple of different schools of thought there, Cynthia. First of all, you know, there's many of us who live in the world that if you had to live within your means, and if you don't have the resources to spend, um, then you shouldn't go out and put a budget out there that spends the resources you don't have. However, at the same token, there are many um, entities, and, and I, I don't disagree with some of these, that realize that, geez, we could have actually added different revenue items. There's a, there's the ultra-billionaires tax. There's the ultra-billionaires tax for the 112 that are left in New York State. There's the ultra-millionaires tax. There's a Pieter-Tier tax, which I think makes sense. There's uh, a bill called the stock transfer tax that I actually co-sponsor that our colleague Phil Steck here in the Capital Region has been promoting for a couple of years. And the Assembly in, in general has always looked at um, adding to the millionaire's tax. However, um, it takes three to tango, and only one was willing to dance, and that was the Assembly. So that being said, um, they can, if they want to be critical of the governor, that's that's what that's their decision, but they also need to be critical of all the partners involved. At the end of the day, this is the process we have to work with, and uh, we have to make sure that New York State also puts forth a budget that uh, the bonding agencies are going to look at responsibly, because if they don't, we are in real deep trouble. And unfortunately, most people don't dive that deep into the details to understand that. There's been cuts to Medicaid, and Medicaid uh, is funded so that poor can the poor, the poorest of the poor can get, you know, coverage for medical expenses. How can cuts in Medicaid be justified in a pandemic? Yeah. So the, the changes to the Medicaid program, which will lead to financial savings, is trying to look at some of the programs that have been growing exponentially much larger than other programs, um, but it's been including patients in that mix that the program wasn't originally intended for. You know, for example, most of the managed care long-term care plans, commonly known as MLTC, and then the consumer directed programs, commonly known as CDPAP, are great programs, programs that I support. But I can tell you firsthand, as a practitioner, I see perfectly capable individuals running throughout the community, living normal lives, that are been given access due to loose guidelines that the state allowed to come into play where they now have people coming in and cooking, cleaning, running errands for them while these individuals are running very carefully throughout the community with no problems at all. So I think there's a tightening up is what's happening. It's not, it's not impacting people who are currently in a program. It's people going forward. Um, it is going to have an impact. I'm not going to. I'm not going to kid you by any stretch of imagination. But at the same token, um, this is part of the challenge we have. 
New York State has been a leader in many of these programs, and many people have benefited from it, and many people will still continue to. And if you went to another state, you wouldn't be having this conversation because those programs wouldn't even be considered. But, you know, like anything else, um, the, the challenge in, in, in government in general is that people normally don't call up and say, please give me less. They usually say, hey, I want more. And I don't blame them because, quite frankly, each program on its own has great merit. But it gets back to is that, you know, we can only we only have so many resources to work with and we have to responsibly work through that. I've been, I've been watching Chris Cuomo on CNN, uh, the governor's brother, and he's quite ill, but he's he's younger, and he's health, he's uh, physically fit, and he's undergoing a really tough time with this. And if he's undergoing a tough time, knowing that you know he works out, he he probably eats well, and and um, he's physically fit, but what does that what does that say to people who are not as conscious of the health as he is? It scares them. Wouldn't you think? Do you think he's really doing a terrific service to the community? I think you know Chris Cuomo. I- you know, I, to be honest, I don't watch him that much, so I can't really speak to exactly what he's doing. But when any individual can share their journey in a public manner, that can be instructive to other individuals. It's helpful. Now, the reality is Chris Cuomo probably has more resources than John McDonald and Cynthia Pooler. But at the end of the day, this gets back to the overall larger issue at hand, irrespective of COVID-19, is that unfortunately we have a system of called health care, which means you need to take care of things after they've happened. The reality is we should be living a healthy lifestyle, and and that's that's where we we, we struggle, right? You know, we 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 struggle with uh, food nutrition programs where people eat healthy food. Instead, we give them vouchers to buy crappy food, food that may not be mm-hmm. of value to them. Uh, we right. we have people who are you know failing in the social determinants of health, whether it's in in housing, whether it's in job opportunities, whether it's in nutrition. And, and we continue to try to make progress in that, but the demand is still outpacing the resources. And, and, and the government is trying to do it uh, in the absence of a federal government that spans multiple administrations. It's not just the current one. It goes way back to the, to the Reagan administration that has basically, particularly when it comes to housing, has just walked away. They just walked away, um, and that's been a challenge. How do you think that the coronavirus will change society? You know, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? I think that what's going to happen is multiple things. First of all, I think the handshake and the hug and the kiss when you greet somebody is going to, going to be minimized a little bit. I think people are going to keep their distance. I think that... Um, Overall, people now get it about washing their hands. If if you make hand gel, you're in business for the rest of your life. If you sell gloves, you'll be busy for the rest of your life. I can tell you that in my pharmacy alone, and I've seen this in other retailers, we have now have these beautiful acrylic clear plastic barriers as sneeze guards to make sure that people don't impact our employees. And I think that as much as some people will say, oh, that seems so distant and so inconsiderate, uh, 
the reality is that's not the intention. The intention is to make sure that we all live safe, safely in our community and are able to work safely in our community. You know, a lot has been made appropriately about the nurses and the doctors and the CNAs that are on the front line and in the hospitals, and that's true. And at the same token, we can't forget, you know, the, the minimum wage clerk who's who's working the register at Hannaford. Who's on a, they're on the front line, too. You know, that right. food is a necessary source, and I think sometimes, and I'm not being dismissive to the nurses. I, you know, they're they're fantastic, and same thing with the CNAs and doctors. But you know, everybody's on the front line when they're when they're out there, right there in front of the public. We need to be very, very mindful of that. You know, there's been I've seen a number of stories that are that people are like bent out of shape because they can't go to uh, worship services this weekend for Holy Week. So what do you say to those people? It's tough. But guess what? You've got other options. You now have the ability to, you know, whether you want to, you can, and I'm a Catholic, so I've been basically following either St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City or St. Pius or Matter Christi or, or St. Ambrose. You know, I I can go to Mass online, and I can watch it live or I can watch it um, on YouTube. And it's it's if anything, I think, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm being wishful in this, but I think this pandemic has actually given people an opportunity to re-engage with their faith. Um, these are challenging times, and... Um, Although there are many people who probably engage with their their savior on a daily basis, there are some that only engage in times of need. Well, guess what? This is a time of need. So the more that are engaging, the better off we will be. So do you see people genuinely um, reaching out to other people during this time? I do. I see... I see a whole new kindness of people coming out. I see a, a sobering of people that's realized this is serious. I see people going to other angles to help people um, and, and, and make sure that they're attended to. You know, whether it's the elderly neighbor, maybe it's the individual who's disabled, maybe it's just the neighbor and just giving them a helping hand. I think this is kind of actually, as much as it's been tragic, for the over 100,000 lives that have been lost throughout the world and their families, um, like any tragedy, some good will come from this. You know, people know about the Great Depression. They talk about people who lived through the Depression. And, of, of course, I doubt if there's anybody still alive who lived through, uh, that's still alive, who lived through the 1918 pandemic. But over the years, that has not been talked about a lot. Do you think that will change now? Do you think this will be, you know, something people will talk about for years to come? You know, I look at my children, and I know that someday when they're 60 or 70 years old, they'll be talking to their children and grandchildren, talking about, oh, I remember when I lived through that in 2020. Just like I hear my mom and dad talk about when they grew up in the Depression era. Um, I think that there will be many historians 
that will now be able to compare the pandemic of 1918, the crash, the, the depression, the recession, and this, and talk about what we did right and where we could do better. Um, I've, I'm a believer that, you know, you don't take victory laps. You just go about your business. You keep pushing, push, keep pushing the plow. You gotta, you gotta plow the field, and it's gonna go on forever. I also believe, though, that we can always do better, and that constructive, constructive criticism with people who really want to find better solutions is is part of the process. And I think that will come about. A lot of people in this country take things, or did take things for granted. You think that's changed now? I think so. I think people okay. are more appreciative now than ever before. I, I, you know, the fact that the government, irrespective of the politics at the federal level, the government has gone to the means of not only issuing checks, but also issuing, you know, whether it's increasing unemployment opportunities. You know, we are pushing aggressively in the state assembly for a housing voucher program. We have many people who are not going to be able to pay their rent. You know, they, they were probably challenged to pay it before. They're really challenged to pay it now. Right. And granted, there are people who want to, they want a rent strike or they want a moratorium on collecting rent. And you know what? In the short term, I see the value to that. However, the bigger issue is there's a perfect vehicle we can put into place through the state housing agency. It's a bill that I'm sponsoring in the assembly that basically directs resources to help individuals on a means-based um, test, which is not difficult to do, to make sure that they'll have no problem getting their rent paid. And and the money would go directly to the landlord, and the landlord would be, the, the landlord would be okay, the tenant would be okay, because we don't want to disrupt people anymore than we're disrupted at this stage of the game. Granted, we have a 90-day waiting period on, on, on evictions, we need to do more. And that's one of the programs that we're pushing with our federal partners, as well as hoping to drive more resources to the state of New York to help fill our budget gap. So, uh, Assemblyman McDonald, you, uh, what areas do you represent and what would be your final thoughts? So, I represent um, Saratoga, Rensselaer, and Albany counties, Waterford right down right down the river on the west side through the port of Albany. And then um, on the on the east side, it's Rensselaer, North Greenbush, and Troy. You know, my final thoughts are this. These are very trying times. Um, we've been very fortunate to have great leadership at the state. We have a great partnership with the federal government. Uh, individuals like Governor Cuomo and President Trump, who have not always agreed on many things, are working closely together for the betterment of the public. And I think the public really needs to to recognize that to recognize that the government is here to help and that we're going to do our best to help us all get through this pandemic. And hopefully in a couple of years from now, we'll be looking back at this and saying, wow, I can't believe we got through this, but thank God we did. Uh, I agree. I totally agree. So uh, I'm sure that you and I will have further discussions as this terrible story unfolds. So you've been listening to Assemblyman John McDonald. This is Focus on Albany. And if you like this show, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks. Have a great day. Happy Easter. Happy Passover. And please stay well, everybody. Thank you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.